Our scripture reading this morning is James chapter 3. So if you'd like to turn to James chapter 3, you'll find it on page 1214. So page 1214 of the Pew Bibles, and we're reading from James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. It was a Sunday night two or three years ago when, um, as I came in, Frank said to me, Billy Abraham's here. I said, oh, I've never met him. Billy Abraham, one of the, perhaps the leading Methodist theologian, Irish Methodist theologian uh, of the moment, teaching in America, had come in on a Sunday night to worship with us and had brought about a dozen, 15 uh, of his students with him. And uh, so I introduced myself to him. I had heard of him. He had never heard of me, which is good for the ego. And 
then I was asking the students, I said, are you all Methodists? And of course, though they went to a Methodist university in Texas, some were Baptists, some were various things. And the, the, the final girl, she was the only one who said, I'm an Episcopalian. And then just to lighten things, I said, well, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and that was a big mistake. Uh, are there any Americans here this morning? <laughs> well, you, you see, Americans don't get irony. Irony. You know, that, that's when it, it's, it's part of our Ulster nature, where sometimes you say the very opposite of what you mean, and everybody knows the rules. You know, if, if somebody is, is going on about something they think is great and you think it isn't, you say something like, big deal, when you don't mean big deal. Well, uh, when I said nobody's perfect, I didn't want to put the girl down. I was just trying to lighten things up, you know. And afterwards, I thought, Adley, your tongue gets me into bother. I've been wondering why I'm on the program <laughs> preaching today. <laughs> yeah. It's the Holy Spirit and Damien, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so the, the, the theme uh, of our meditation today, consecutively we're going through James's letter, and it's the tongue. Uh, the title in the, in the sheet is The Power of the Tongue. The title which the NIV gives is Taming the Tongue. And let's... Uh, commit our meditation to the Lord now and use words from Psalm 19. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, you, you may find it helpful to have the text in front of you. And it begins with this verse, chapter 1 of James 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So here is a word for teachers. Now, James wasn't delivering a, a, a talk to the annual conference of the NAS, UWT, or any other professional teacher's body. He was addressing teachers in the church. And we know that the early church uh, valued its teachers in the lists of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul gives us in a number of places. Teachers come towards the beginning. And sometimes it's linked with pastor teachers. And Presbyterians, when you're vacant and you're looking for a new minister, you want somebody who has at least two qualities. One, a good pastor, and two, a good teacher. 
Now, I know what you're all thinking. I'm going to enjoy this because this is a sermon for Damien and Jeffrey and Bill and maybe some of the elders. Well, it is a sermon for us, so whatever I'm saying this morning, I'm saying to myself amongst others. But it's not only the ministry team who are the teachers. We send our kids out, the under 11s, under 12s, isn't it? And they go out for kids' zone, and there they get excellent teaching from some people, maybe professional teachers, most of the people doing the teaching of our children are not professionals, but they're still teaching. And uh, in the youth organizations, in the other organizations, we have teachers. And there are teachers who are teachers in the home, because what parent isn't a teacher? So this word isn't just for the professional teachers in the church, and maybe by extension, the professional Christians, who, the, the Christians who are professional teachers in schools and colleges and, and wherever. This is for all of us, because we all teach by example, do we not? Okay. So, what is this message? Well, I, I hadn't realized when I spoke rather thoughtlessly and, as it turned out, cruelly to the poor girl who was the Episcopalian when I said, none of us are perfect. I hadn't thought that I would be preaching on that because how does James 3 continue? He says, we all stumble in many ways. How do we paraphrase that? Nobody is perfect. But here, it's not used with irony. Here, James is writing simply, straightforwardly. He's saying, look, the teachers, the higher your uh, responsibility in the church, the greater your accountability. My brothers, we know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, leadership here in whatever department or in whatever way, that should set you back and go, oh. But so that it doesn't hit us too hard, he says, but we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect, he's a mature person, able to keep his body in check. But the problem is the tongue. And so we get from verses 3 to uh, verse 7, the, the, the first section, which is, the tongue is small, but very, very powerful. He uses three pictures. First of all, he takes us to the races. 
When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It can give lots of bother, and it does okay. Now, let's think about bits in the mouth of horses. Now, I don't know a great deal about horses. I have ridden once, and I can still feel the pain, okay? And I didn't ride again. But I know about horses because in my youth and as a young man, I have seen countless cowboy films, right? And if you're on the horse and you want the horse to stop, you don't say only, whoa, whoa. You do say that. But the horse will go on unless you pull back on the reins and there's the bit that in here and it causes the horse to stop. Small uh, piece of metal, but in the right place with the right reins and the right hands, it stops the animal. And I think if you pull one side, that steers the beast, isn't that right? You, you pull the left and the head goes around and the big animal follows its head. Have I got it right? Well, you don't know about horses either, so we'll just say that's the way it works. All right? A small piece of metal, but it's able to control a, an animal much more powerful than we are. The tongue is small, but it can exert great power. And then he moves on from talking about the, uh, a bit in the mouth of uh, a horse to the rudder on a ship. Now, have you heard of the Bismarck? The Bismarck was the pride of the German fleet. It was a battleship that could outrun and outgun the best of the British fleet. It slipped out from uh, Nazi Germany into the North, so North Sea and got up uh, to Norway in 1941, I think. It was spotted, hotly pursued by the British fleet. There was a battle. In 10 minutes, it sank the battleship Hood was slightly damaged, but was able to escape. And it was pursued by the Royal Navy round the top of Iceland, down the other side. It was trying to make for uh, Brest in, uh, in northwest France, Brittany. There were several engagements. It was damaged, but it was able to carry on, and it it got away. It was lost in the mists and of uh, the North Atlantic until it was spotted by a good old short Sunderland 
made in Belfast. My father used to help build them. The Sunderland spotted it. Its position was radioed back, and no ships were near it. So they sent out a squadron of swordfish. Now, you may not be interested in World War II. I am one of those boring people who should get out more, but I'm interested. And the swordfish looked like something from World War I. It was a biplane, you know, two, two parallel uh, wings. It didn't have a cockpit. Uh, there were three, uh, there was a pilot and a gunner and a navigator, and they all had to wear the, the you know, the funny leather uh, head things and the goggles. Uh, and th there was no cockpit. They were in the open air. It could only do 143 miles an hour. I know that because I googled it last night. <laughs> and it, it was virtually useless. It carried a torpedo, but the torpedo normally didn't reach the target. Anyway, a squadron of them went out at maximum speed, 140 miles an hour, and it attacked the Bismarck. Most of the torpedoes missed, one hit the Bismarck in the midships, but that wasn't, the Bismarck was well uh, protected by armor. That wasn't going to sink it. It was sailing on. And then one hit it at the rear. And what did it do? It damaged the rudder. And the Bismarck, far from getting away, started to move in one big circle. That's all it could do. The Navy eventually was able to catch up and they sank the pride of the German fleet. And they would never have done it if one out-of-date little biplane hadn't managed to damage the rudder. Very small, but very important. And that's our tongue. Very small, but very important. For good and for evil. But being the people we are, it's usually for evil. Because James goes on in verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You're out doing a barbecue in the country, you're a bit careless, and you could set the vegetation all around you on fire. Just a moment's thoughtlessness and a very small spark. Do you uh, remember Andrea Lidsom? Yeah, I didn't. Well, there's a few of you, yeah. Uh, but not many. She was one of the Tory Brexit campaigners. And uh, she eventually 
after a few people fell by the wayside, was the main challenger to Theresa May in the, uh, the election of a new Tory, uh, Tory leader. Do you remember? And she foolishly gave an interview to the Times. And in that interview, amongst other things, uh, she just happened to mention that because she was a mother of three, she would make a better leader than Teresa, who had no children. And then, if I can change the metaphor, the balloon went up. And this hit the headlines, and there was uh, all you know were to pay. So what do you do? Well, you do what she did. First of all, you say, uh, you, you, you deny it. Oh, I didn't say that. I was misunderstood, right? This is what you do. And then the, uh, the Times journalist waved the tape and replayed the tape. Oh, well, out of context, well, then the Times journalist gave the whole interview. Oh, then it's because the press are persecuting me. And nobody believed that either. And what did she finally do? She had to withdraw. And Teresa didn't have to face anybody. She didn't have a competition. She had a coronation, our new prime minister. And Andrea, why did she get into bother? Because of her tongue. Because of her tongue. Does this sound familiar to you and your testimony? Oh, I know you weren't running for Tory leader, but have you, hands up those who have never got into bother with their tongue. Not me. Okay, we're all in the same boat, are we not? And we all fight this problem. James goes on. He says uh, the, the, the tongue is all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. Amen to that? Amen to that. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, you say a casual remark, and sometimes it isn't casual, but it really gets home to someone else, and it's as if they have been injected with poison. They feel hurt. They feel resentful. They feel bitter that you have said that, and they want to get their own back. Perfectly natural, but sinful. And we all know that, don't we? So the problem is the tongue. And then we get to verse 9. It, it, it leads us to contradictions. With the tongue in church, we can sing praises and we can bless the Lord. And we do. And with the tongue, we can curse, we can criticize, we can hurt other people. And we do. And we do. And James says, and we can't deny it, verse 10, my brothers, this should not be. And we all know 
That's true. So, so what do we do? What do we do? We've seen that a message to teachers and to the rest of us is that uh, the tongue is small but very powerful. We've seen that it is destructive. We've seen that we all stumble, that nobody's perfect. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, for this, I think we, we need to take a step back. If I stop the sermon there, uh, it's, all I've done is analyzed our condition. I haven't pointed to any solution, and I can't stop there. So let's take a step back and get the wider picture of what James is saying. At the beginning in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. We don't want our religion to be worthless, do we? But can we tame the tongue? It's difficult. It's difficult. So James says in chapter 3, we've just, I've just rehearsed it, then it, towards the end of the chapter, he talks about two kinds of wisdom. I don't have time to go, to go into that, so let me just sketch out what he's saying. He's saying that he gives us two lists, a list of virtues, verse uh, 17, the wisdom that comes from above is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And earlier, he'd given a, a list of uh, vices. Uh, if we har harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition, we boast, we, we deny the truth, that's not wisdom from above. That verse 15 is wisdom which is for, uh, from below of the earth and spiritual of the devil, of, to use an old phrase, of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's where that phrase comes from, from James chapter 3. But we need to go into chapter 4 to find the solution. And here I'm encroaching on uh, Jeffrey, what he will say, but he'll forgive me even though he isn't here. Uh, it, 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 the, the situation gets worse because at the beginning of chapter 4, what causes uh, the, the tongue? It causes fights and quarrels and tensions in the Christian community. And that happens. That happens. And we should be a community of peace and harmony within our own fellowship and peacemaking and harmonious in our community. And then we get to verse 7. And here is the solution. James concludes chapter 4, verse 7. Jeffrey will be expounding on this next, next Sunday, God willing. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's the solution. And just in the last couple of minutes, 
I want just to highlight that. Three points. One, submit. Submit. If I was on a horse and it started to go too fast for me, I don't think I could stop it. Why? I would shout woe at the top of my voice. I would pull on the reins, but the horse would know it was a very inexperienced rider upon it. And it would do precisely what it wanted. We have to submit, the scriptures tell us, submit to God. Let him take the reins of our life. We want to hold them ourselves. That is a disaster. Submit. It involves repentance. It involves trust. We have to give the rudder of our lives over to the Lord and stop steering ourselves because we're certainly going to hit the rocks or the shallows. Submit. And then say sorry. Humble yourselves, James says. Let me start. I am sorry if I thoughtlessly have hurt any of you in anything I've ever said. I'm not sor sorry if you have been hurt at what God has said through the scriptures, because that's what I'm here for, as is every other biblical expositor, not always to give you a nice stroke, because the scriptures isn't always about being nice. It challenges, but where I have heard thoughtlessly, I'm sorry, genuinely. Now, are there people that you need to say sorry to in this community, in your family, elsewhere, people you need to say sorry to because you have said cruel, sometimes envious, sometimes spiteful, sometimes untrue things. We've got to say sorry and mean it. And are there people you think need to say sorry to you, but you're not sure whether you're going to accept it or not? Now, what would Christ have you to do? If there is a genuine apology, it should be accepted, whatever the hurt. This is the Lord speaking to me. Is it the Lord speaking to you? Submit, say sorry, and then sing and show. Praise the Lord in our worship and in our living and show it in our daily lives. The tongue, it's a problem for us all, but there is a solution. Submitting to the Lord. 
being reconciled to him, of course, but also to one another, which involves giving and receiving heartfelt apologies, and day by day living and singing to his praise and his glory. Let's have a moment's silence. And let's ponder these things that the Lord has been telling us. young Samuel prayed, so we pray. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Help us to hear and listen, and help us to do and to act. Spirit leads. Amen. And we pray. Our offerings, O Lord, are uh, a visible thanks to you for all the good things you give us. We are unworthy of any of them but we thank you. Thank you that your gifts do not depend on our merit, nor are they what we deserve. Thank you, Lord. And we pray for others and seek to serve them in Christ's name. We pray for the wounded and the hurt, for those recovering from terrorist atrocities, in France, in Germany, and Iraq, and Afghanistan, and many other places. For those driven from their homes who now find themselves unwelcome refugees in foreign lands. We pray for the wounded in our own land, those who still bear physical or mental scars from the troubles, and we think of the Christian and other communities whose places of worship and social activity have been damaged and desecrated. We mention specifically the Presbyterians at St. Field Road, the Methodists at Carn Hill, and many other denominations and organizations which have suffered at the hands of arsonists and vandals. We pray for those hurt by verbal attacks, critical words, harsh, unjust comments, and especially for those whom we may have hurt. Lord, grant them healing and grant us that wisdom from above which transforms speech and brings peace 
and compassion and consideration. We think of those who have their hands on the rudder, on the rudder of state, the prime minister, the ministers of state, the MLAs and members of the Stormont Executive. For those with hands on the rudders of the church, for Frank and Claire, for the leaders of all branches of the Christian church. We pray for all who have any influence, whether it be in society at large or even in the most humble homes. We pray for those whose wounds are the result of illness and disease, the result of anxiety and concern. For the members of this congregation, for those who are seriously ill, those who are lonely or depressed, anxious or under great stress, for members of our own circle of family and friends. Lord, in your mercy, grant healing. In your love, grant peace and contentment. In your grace, grant faith and hope and the life everlasting. And all our prayers we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.